Welcome back, everybody, to All In with Aqueous. This is episode eight, and I'm your host, Mike Memo Minio. And welcome back, everybody. It's been a while, but it's going to be coming a little bit more frequently. We have Mike answered for today in episode eight. We talk everything. We talk about what's been going on with Aqueous, where we're going in the future, summer tour, fall tour. Mike talks about his songwriting process, breaks down you know, why he likes to play each guitar and some new music that's coming up that's going to be released uh, at some upcoming shows. He'll talk in a little bit about that. Just a really great one-hour conversation with Mike, and you're going to learn about, you know, a ton of stuff that's been going on. So check that out. Um, before we get started, just a quick shout-out to our sponsor, and that is Community Beer Works. And they are a huge uh, supporter of Aqueous and good friends of mine. They do great beer in downtown Buffalo, good vibe down there. So make sure you're checking them out. All In With Aqueous is also a proud partner of the Osiris Podcast Network, which you can find at OsirisPod.com. All kinds of great music podcasts on there. I run a fish one called The Daily Soundcheck. And if you want to hear different music or people talk about it or hear some stories, Really, really good stuff on our network. You can hit me up and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. So let's get into my conversation with Mike and we will catch up. And it's about an hour long, so enjoy. All right, so we have Uncle Mike with us today. Mike, welcome back to All In with Aqueous. Very glad to have you. It is August 14th, 2019. We're just uh, a couple weeks after Cobblestone here. And uh, we're going to get into finding out what's going on with Big Mike over here. How are you, Mike? I'm good, man. It's uh, good to be back on. So, yeah, let's talk about, you know, kind of what's been going on. I think that's a great place to start. We're going to catch up a little bit here. So, you know, just it's been festival season. You just had Party in the Park, Cobblestone. Any of those shows kind of stick out to you if you want to talk about, you know, what's been going on with you? Yeah, man. I mean, you said it. We're really right in the thick of festival season. And and uh, it, it's it's funny because... A part of festival season is so amazing because, you know, you're just, uh, you're in and out and, and, and like, you know, you get to see all your friends and hang and it's great to play outdoors and, and there's like a million reasons why it's awesome. But, um, another part of it, like, is that you don't get to play as long, you know? And so a lot of these sets that we've been playing all summer have been like an hour or in, in some cases even less. Um, and so, you know, going to, you know, these most recent shows, the, the party in the park and, and the, and the cobblestone, um, sets, those were kind of nice because both were extended set lengths, um, you know, and both were, were basically hometown shows too. So both of those felt really special and felt like we could finally like lay into some of the stuff, the way that we envision in our heads. I mean, when we do a, a festival set, I mean, it's such a different approach. We're just trying to get our point across within an hour and, and give somebody just a taste of, what the band is about in, in a broader sense. And so to, to be able to like have, you know, an hour and a half or two hours or two and a half hours is like literally a world of difference. And, and it was much more satisfying. And um, I think after a whole summer of the shorter sets, it felt really, really good to, to dive into some stuff a little deeper. So that's an interesting way to put it. Now, if I was a first time listener, what would you want me to take in as what is the point of Aqueous? That's a pretty good question. I mean, I feel like for us, there's a history there, you know? I mean, there's there's over 10 years of songs that we've written, and some represent a youthful chapter in our existence, and some represent us finding our sound, and some represent us, like, just going, like, full bore on, on what, what it is that we are now. And I think it's important to try to give somebody a sense of why each of those eras is important for the band and, like, what each of them represents. And, and so I think, like, you know, when we're playing a show, we're trying to touch about, uh, you know, on all of those things, but deliver something that feels organic and authentic and, and, and has continuity to it, you know, and that's always a, a fun challenge on my end being the, the primary set list writer is that I need to um, figure out how to like bridge all of those different, those different sounds and eras. Cause they are, a lot of them are pretty different. I mean, some of the, some of the stuff we've been doing recently is like a little more on the, the dancey side, like maybe inspired more by something like Jamiroquai or something a little funkier like that. And then earlier stuff is like way more hard rock and paired with reggae. And like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of all over the spectrum. So I, I think during a set, we want to deliver something that's, 
that feels like a good picture of the band like over the past 10 years, but is still like a current representation of what we do. I mean, even, even a lot of those old tunes, we'll sort of like update them, you know, with, with uh, like, you know, and a lot of that comes from, you know, Rob's end, the drummer's end, because he will like update the feel of the song a little bit, like to maybe groove a little harder or, or to make it a, a little, a little um, funkier or something, <clears throat> you know, I, I mean, it's so, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of, kind of what I'd say about that. So let's talk about uh, a couple of shows in particular. Uh, luckily I'm, I was a part of a couple of these. So let's go back to the paradise show, oh, yeah. uh, which was post post fish. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be at fish in Boston and check you guys out after that. And I have to say it was one of the cooler shows I've been to. The place was absolutely bumping, very cool room. And um, I don't know if you saw the trade documentary, but he actually, his father mentioned that he knew fish had made it when they played the paradise. And I immediately thought of you guys and I'd just seen you guys play up there. So it was pretty cool. Um, talk about that show, what it was like, maybe, you know, playing post-show fish and if that's a different crowd, different experience and what you maybe felt about that show. Yeah. That's, that's funny about the, about the tray thing. Cause you know, e- even, even when you go into the venue and you're loading in, um, and just throughout, you can see a list of all the names of people that have played there. And it, it, it's pretty incredible. I mean, the, the, the club itself is really historic and, and it was an honor to get to headline there. You know, we've performed there a few times, um, you know, just being, you know, support for other bands over the years, but for, for us to be able to go in there and headline and actually we we're only a few tickets away from selling it out, which was, was, was huge for us. And, uh, it's funny that that's like, was Trey's dad's measurement. I mean, and I, <laughs> I, I understand that cause it, it does, it is revered, you know, I mean, it, it has history and it's, and it's respected as maybe something of a rite of passage or something, but, um, it was cool. It was, it was great. I mean, the energy in that, in that room was pretty electric that night. I mean, I think there was a lot of excitement going into it. And, and I, I, I we've been finding that Boston, in the New England area in particular has been growing a lot for us recently. And, and we've found some really passionate fans out there. Um, and I, and I think like, you know, with, with that particular fish show being like all that crazy rain, um, at Fenway and the thunderstorms and, and this torrential downpour situation, I feel like people were kind of wired, <laughs> you know, like people were yeah. in a different place. Um, and we were pretty stoked too, you know, I mean, we, we were, had been looking forward to that show for a long time and, and we had a little bit of, a little bit of time off in between it and, and we're just really, really stoked to play. And, um, it felt, it felt pretty special. I mean, I think there was, there was a lot of moments of that night where the band was like really clicking and, and I just felt that room explode a few times in, in the coolest way. You know, they're a very responsive crowd and, you know, for, for it to be an after show too, you, you know, there's always concern about going too long or like, you know, you know, it's, you know, people have already seen a whole night of music and this and that, but I was so stoked, like everybody stayed and everybody raged. And I felt like that was one of the most engaged crowds I've ever played for that we've ever played for for an after party situation and uh, it felt like our fans were really there um and it wasn't just like oh like we're playing to a bunch of people that just saw fish and are just like looking for something to do like i, I could get a sense that I, like, I mean everybody was singing the words and and really in it and and it was it was awesome man i would agree with that uh, i had a bunch of friends see you for the first time and they they were blown away. So it was a pretty awesome experience to see, you know, some of my fish friends getting aqueous for the first time was pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. And kind of going back to what we were talking about with like the set list and trying to make it diverse, um, you know, thinking about that particular show. I mean, like we played our, literally our, our, we debuted a song there. So the newest of the new played stuff from like way back when, like our first, you know, first album or second album, um, and, you know, and, and every, I mean, and just the range in between, and it felt like a really good balance of, of like of songs and, and, and of basically like if you're talking about a, a picture of Aqueous, I thought that was a pretty accurate one. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So let's talk, uh, we'll move on to party in the park and, you know, I had seen you guys, I was there for that luckily. And, you know, I've seen you guys, you opened for Victor Wooten just, what was that? A couple of years ago, right? Yep. And now you headline Party in the Park. And for me, uh, I remember specifically seeing you guys play for about seven people at Montage years ago. And to see you headlining like their big Thursday festival was pretty surreal to see that kind of, you know, come full circle. So maybe talk about a little bit how, you know, the difference between, you know, opening for someone like Victor Wooten versus 
having the headline uh, gig at Party in the Park? What's kind of the difference? And maybe talk a little bit about your experience there. You know, one thing that really stood out to me about that particular gig opening for Victor was that um, he he watched our entire set and came to me after the set with like notes about what was good and then like little things he thought we could improve on. And I, I always thought that that was one of the most amazing experiences. I mean, someone that's as accomplished as him does not have to do that. And it's not typical that that um, the headlining bands even watch the opening band most of the time. And, and for good reasons, most of the time, I mean, a lot of times they're rehearsing or warming up or getting ready or doing their thing. And he literally stood out. And I mean, I could see him in the audience for like 80% of the show. And I remember that being a little nerve wracking, you know what I mean? I mean, he's, he's truly one of the most amazing musicians maybe on the earth at the moment. But um, that's just you know, for anyone listening out there, that's, that's not that common. Um, and so that always, I will always remember that. And his, his feedback was so good and, and, and so honest and, and so, um, helpful, I guess, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that was really cool. So, so I, I just wanted to, to, to make mention of that. Cause I just thought that that was a really special moment, but, um, I want to go back to something you mentioned, which was us playing at a uh, montage music hall, about four or five years ago to like maybe, yeah, 10 or 15 people. And, and it, what's funny about that is it was us and pigeons playing ping pong, um, yeah. you know, playing for 15 people or less, which is unimaginable now <laughs> for, for both of us, which is amazing. But, um, you know, the moment before we walked on stage at party, our headlining party at the park just a few weeks ago, I s- noticed that the parking lot for the montage was right across the street. And I said, Hey, yes, yeah. that's the montage. That's the place that we played. Like, and, and, you know, for those listening, I, I, I'm not trying to hate on that room or anything, but it is, is a really tough room to get to sound good. It's very harsh and very, um, metallic y, um, and just kind of just Con- rough. Concrete. Concrete. Yes. Yeah, concrete yeah. sound. <laughs> um, but without, we actually like talked about that right before I we went on. I think everybody kind of felt this little moment of gratitude with, how much things have really changed um, in the past few years and, and how our fan base has grown in, in such an exponential way. I mean, it's, it's incomparable. Um, you know, 12 people to over 2000 is, is a, is a big old difference. And uh, that is not lost on us at all. We are really, really grateful for that. And, and I think like having that feeling of remembering what that felt like, you know, the moment before we walk on, into a successful situation like like Party in the Park was, uh, I think, set the tone for a great show, um, you know. Absolutely. Uh, it was, I had, you know, friends that, you know, they, you know, that's a, an interesting thing because it can be a little bit more casual. You know, let's go see some music on a Thursday. Oh, I, I heard Aquas is pretty cool. We'll co- I think, you know, it's a great way to grow your fan base for sure. Yeah. And, and, and that, that show, and, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier about not having a lot of opportunities this summer to really like lay into some jams and stuff. I I loved this, that, that particular show, because one thing that we've been conscious of lately is, is doing, is making really cool transitions, um, in, you know, from one song to another and having Mm -hmm. that be a focused improv is how to get from one to another, instead of having it just be like a, ripcord situation or what one where you just like jump right from one into the other you know which we'll do sometimes too but that particular show had some really cool transitions i remember um one there was this one particular section where we played uh split the difference um into that uh wing song let him in which was actually rob's Mm -hmm. rob's suggestion to do that tune and it's actually one of my favorite songs just in general i just love that song but that um Split the difference into Let Him In into Skyway um, was a really smooth, natural thing, and and it's funny because those three entities as musical pieces couldn't really be that much more different. You know, Split the Difference is sort of a hip hop vibe, and Let Him In is this like um, not not a ballad, but it's a really pretty kind of delicate thing, and 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 it's and it's a really like just cool like song. It's a, it's just a great song, and Skyway kind of has that edgier like funk kind of groove and the heavy you know the heavy outro and this and that, and and figuring out ways to connect to those musically has been I, I think like something I've really wanted us you know like like that idea of connecting those in a creative way is has been a more recent focus um instead of just jumping from one to another and and I really liked how that segment went and and it's funny because it comes without conversation I mean the band doesn't really talk about 
how we're going to do it. But everybody's been listening really intently to each other. And, and, and I, I really loved that. And there were, there was a couple other ones, even within that show. I mean, this, we did a second site into complex two, and that was like probably my, one of my favorite segments of the weekend, actually, um, for a couple of reasons, but, um, the transition thing there too, I thought was, was really neat. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's kind of what stood out to me, you know, from the performance side. I, I really was really enjoying that part of it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with the um, everything you said there with the transitions and Letterman was was awesome. It was super cool. And, you know, the Wings didn't do very many great things, but that song is certainly one of them. Um, so actually, you kind of touched on something that I wanted to ask you, and that's you know, Rob said, you said that Rob chose that cover. So how does that kind of work? Does he bring it up to the whole band when you guys choose a cover? Is that somebody's idea? And then do you guys kind of all talk about it? And then how do you choose who's going to sing? Like, how does that whole conversation work? Yeah. I mean, for us, it's really just an an ongoing conversation that we always have. Um, we have this little, uh, this little thread that we communicate through and, and we actually, um, have different subjects that we like that'll it'll uh, conversation will be dedicated to and there's a whole um, tab that's just dedicated to cover ideas and people will just like as you know as they're listening to music on their own or have an idea will just send you know a song that they want to do and maybe like explain a little bit about why it would work or whatever and then um, you know I mean and we're pretty open-minded I mean generally speaking if, if somebody has an idea. I mean, there's been a few instances recently where Rob has had some, Rob always has good ideas, but he had, he had a suggestion to do an empire of the sun song recently. Um, oh, wow. and, and, and we, and we did it and it was, it was awesome. And, and I didn't know the tune yet. Like I, I, I like ha- I went and listened to it and I was like, wow, this is different. And it, and it's really, but I love, I loved the song. And I was like, if we can pull this off, like, let's, let's give it a go. And, and, and so it's pretty, it's pretty loose. Like there's not like a big structure to it really. We just all listen to a ton of music and we're like, man, this would be cool to do. But, but yeah, literally everybody throws ideas into the mix every week. I mean, and, and some of the recent ones I feel like have been kind of indicative of, of some of, some of the direction that you might see us push in, you know, in an experimental sense in the next couple of, you know, songs that we put out or recordings that we might put out, um, you know, doing, doing stuff from like, vampire weekend or um doing doing stuff from like the raconteurs um you know and, and so a lot of times it's just reflective of whatever we're actually into at the time and we've kind of been conversating about how it's 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 neat if we have the opportunity to turn an audience on to something i think back in the day we used to think of covers as as something where we could relate to the audience and have like if we're playing in front of all new people um, you know, we can have, have them understand at least that much about what we're doing or respect that much about what we're doing. Like, oh, this band like likes this song and they did it really well. I, maybe I'll check them out kind of thing. But, but these days I feel like we're, you know, especially in, in, you know, certain markets, we'll, we'll get a lot riskier with, with picking covers that are just stuff that we're really genuinely into. Um, and, and hope, hopefully can, encourage a listener of of aqueous to go um check out where we're coming from with with the cover you know and i i think that was the case with at cobblestone the following night after rochester we did uh we debuted sunflower from vampire weekend which is a that that record is um something i've been listening the whole band has been listening to nonstop since it came out um and and i actually had someone tag me on instagram that they'd never heard the song and they were like like they loved it and and we're listening to the whole record and like we're learning that song and i th- I thought that was so cool I-, I love that idea of turning people onto stuff that we're into well guess what that same thing happened to me so uh i've been seeing you guys for a long time and you have turned me on to multiple songs and sunflower is one of them i had never heard that song i knew a little bit about vampire weekend and i listened to it probably 10 times the next day. That's awesome. So, and I'm an old, I'm an old bag. So getting me into new music is very cool thing for me. And I appreciate that. I think it comes through uh, very well for you guys. It just play what you love. And as an audience, I think we take that uh, in very well. So I thank you for that. You've turned me on to multiple songs and that, you know, that is a really, really cool song. And that, you know, I've been getting into that album too. So very, very, very cool choices you've always had. Uh, I think all, those of us that have been around, we've always liked the color, covers that you've chosen. I love to hear that. So, so let's talk a little bit. We'll move to Party in the Park and, or I'm sorry, Cobblestone. And we'll talk a little bit about that show. Um, Cobblestone set up by your former manager. I guess we should maybe start there. That might be a good entryway point there. 
Yeah. So, uh, that, yeah, exactly. Jo- so Josh Holtzman, um, for, you know, maybe those who are, well, actually, I mean, it's been a lot of years now I and mean, J- Josh was our manager, yeah. um, you know, for a few years, like in the, uh, early 2010s, you know, I mean, I think he came on in maybe 2009, 2008 or 2009 and, and was working with us probably up until about 2014 or 2015. Um, and, and he, he was really there for us when very few people cared. Um, and, and I will yeah. always give him that credit because he really believed, like he, he felt sure that we were going to, going to do the things that we wanted to do, maybe even when the band wasn't <laughs> sure, you know? And, and, yeah. uh, and so we, we will always have a, a, such a strong gratitude towards Josh because, uh, I mean, you have to you have to understand too that at that point there was just no money coming in, just nothing. Right. There was the only incentive was his own passion for it and want and just actually believing, believing in what we were doing. And and uh, you just can't fake that kind of commitment. Um. And and he didn't. And and he brought us to a higher tier. Um. In our time with him. And then it was really great. Like we both parted ways in the most amicable fashion. Where. Um, our paths just sort of diverged. He, you know, became the um, general manager over at Buffalo Ironworks, which is a local venue here in, in Buffalo, and um, started getting involved in festival planning and 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 you know, and then eventually put on, went on to put on Cobblestone. And we got it was perfect timing where we got put on to a, a better management company. And it, I mean, everything was worked out kind of the way it should, um, which is which is really wonderful. But so we and we've remained really close with Josh. Like I was in his wedding party last year and. And he was in mine, um, and and so, anyways, with him throwing cobblestone, um, it's been amazing to work with him in such a different capacity because, um, you know, it, it's a different dynamic. You know, he's the he's the buyer, he's the he's the you know the the booker, and we're the band, and those that's not the same as when he's management. Like, you know, it's technically two different teams, and we figure out how to put those teams together and make them work together. But it's been amazing working with him, and and I the thing I love about cobblestone is that it's it's a a really unique lineup every year and and it's diverse and it touches upon a, a really really great range of music and i feel like it's i'm into that because that's how my tastes are um i you know we play a lot of festivals where it's mostly just jam bands or jam bands and edm and and that's cool but i i like the diversity i like being able to see an indie band and then go see like a, maybe like a punk trio and then go see a jam band and and so on and so on down the line but um, he crushes that lineup every year and it, and it's been a no brainer thus far for us to, to be a part of the festival. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all good, man. I mean, we've, we've had the best, the best time with it in the past two years and this year felt really special to me in particular. Yeah. And we'll, I'll give a shout out to Josh too. Josh has done an amazing job bringing music here to Buffalo. And I've known Josh, Josh was the manager when I found Aqueous and he was nothing ever but cool to me the entire time. And you're right. He had the belief from the start. And, uh, I, you know, I look over when you guys played at Cobblestone, he's like a proud father, even <laughs> in the capacity, you know, he's just, he's one of the good guys around and I'll give him, we'll give him a shout out. He also runs the Borderlands festival that's coming up, which is just an incredible lineup that he's put together. So. Uh, you know, Josh, we love you. Uh, so much love to you, buddy. So we'll talk about your show in Cobblestone. So you ended up getting, uh, you had two sets was announced, but then you kind of wanted to play as much p- music as possible. And you played one long set and that was in front of, you know, your hometown Buffalo people. And it was a pretty awesome set. I certainly had some highlights with Underlier, old school uh, Uncle Phil's with no segues. I was a big fan of. And, you know, we already talked about the Sunflower cover. So it, it was a really great set and it was everybody was getting down. So what was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I thought that was one of those one of those sets that was just pure high energy. You know what I mean? We were I think we always respond to whatever environment we're playing in. Like we we are not I, I think that that's always a big part of, of how our band exists is just we are are very intuitive, I feel, with how the how the room is. Um and and I, that that particular set, I felt like people were just so stoked, um, and and I feel like our our energy kind of matched that vibe. And I had a blast with the set list. I I, I feel like it was a real a really good a really cool and interesting set list, and it was a lot of songs that I like to play. And um, and it was cool. Again, you know, not to keep harping on the transitions thing, but I, that was another part of what I really loved about that that particular set. There was a few like don't do it into mice. Um, was a really smooth kind of natural, gradual, um, you know, segue in. 
And actually, particularly like for me, a highlight was Underlier into Origami. Um, it just happened really naturally, you know, um, and that felt that felt really good for for us. And you know, and just to show Josh a little more love too, we we, we debuted a, a Rack and Tour song um, for him because <laughs> he's he's the one that turned me on to that band. Actually, he's he's a mega mega Jack White fan. And so like all of Jack's projects, like Dead, the Dead Weather and Raconteurs and all that, he got, he got me into, you know, cause it, it, you know, another fun fact is that Josh was my roommate for about three years. Um, and we became really close during that time. And, um, and we wanted to just show him like a little, a little extra love. Um, and so we, we, you know, we covered that tune and, and actually I'm, we're, I'm going to see them in, in Niagara Falls on Friday with, with Josh, <laughs> which will be really cool. Um, very, very cool. But yeah, no, the the whole set just felt really good and and you know, you just can't go wrong in front of that Buffalo crowd. I mean, they they are just so supportive and I I think it makes us take more risks and push things a little further out there and 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 uh you know, I I just liked I liked that each of the the improv sections kind of had its own thing going on. I mean, the, un, the middle of Underlier was really funky and and Evan Evan was like really driving that shit. Like he even he took a bass solo and then brought it into these like really like synth kind of funk, you know, bass parts that were really sick but then the outro of underlier like you know we i think we took a good 10 minutes getting out of it like and it was just this really spacey kind of transient jam that i i loved like just kind of making some weird sounds and going between some some chords that we found and um i i, I liked it I, I i thought the whole set was was really really fun yeah same it was uh certainly one of my favorite shows it was uh it's awesome when you guys play Buffalo. What can I say? I'm I'm a little biased, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think it's pretty unique. You know, I feel like it's <laughs> it's got its own thing that happens when we play here for sure. Who knew that Buffalo had passionate fans? You could never tell by Bills fans at all. So. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till Aqueous fans are jumping through tables. <laughs> uh, so, and then kind of just recently, you guys announced uh, Fall Tour. And maybe talk a little bit about that. Are you any places you're really excited to play? You're going to be playing two sets at some places, one at the other. Any kind of talk about that? Yeah, it's really likely that we'll be doing two at most. Um, sometimes the one set situation is just comes down to logistics and 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 um, context because a, a lot of times at these venues, there's different curfews on different nights of the week, and and we have to play by their rules most of the time. Um, right. You know, I mean, but we're we're aiming to do as many two set shows as possible. And, and, and it's likely that'll be the majority of them. Uh, typically it's the weekday ones that are harder to pull that off on just for curfew's sake. Um, and right. I think like, you know, I, I've seen people like assess that situation online a bunch, but really it's, it's just as simple as that. We always want to play as much as we possibly can. Um, and so, um, but yeah, the, the tour is going to be sick. Um, we're really, really stoked and we, and we were, we were really happy to, to bring, um, Le special on for, for most of it. Um, we, we love the idea of having contrast in our shows as far as openers, um, or support because, you know, like I was saying about the festivals earlier, I, I don't like the idea of beating somebody over the head with just one thing. And, and Le Special is very unique and very edgy and they mix these elements of like heavy kind of nineties, like grunge, like edgy kind of, kind of grunge, like primacy style shit with like like modern trap sounds and like sick rap vibes and stuff. And, 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 and I, I really like, I like their whole vibe and, and it's, and it's, I think that's going to be a, a really, really cool tour um, to have them out. And, and we had them out for our new year's show. And I, I thought that even that was a great contrast of, 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 uh, of bands. Um, but, but really, I mean, there's, there's so many, I really, I'm excited for the whole tour. There's so many highlights. Like we, we're going to do Halloween in Pittsburgh this year, and and that's been a market that's been growing a lot for us too. Um, and we're and so we're really excited to, for that one. Um, I was excited to get back to like Syracuse and, and Saratoga. We have we haven't done either of those cities in, in kind of a minute now, and we've wanted to. So we'll get back to those. Getting back to the Southeast. Um, I know for me, I, I'm a huge fan of playing in in Chicago and and really the Midwest in general. I I, I feel that those fans, our music tends to resonate with really easily. Um, and there's a, you know, we got a Chicago show that I'm really stoked about and always good to go back to Colorado, getting out to Denver and we're doing a couple of VIP shows on this tour. So there's just so much to look forward to. And um, there'll be a lot of new music that's being debuted in that time too. We've been sitting on a lot of stuff. So people should get stoked about that. Nice, nice. Um, I have to say the tour announcement video was pretty awesome. 
<laughs> and I would like to hear kind of, I'm, I'm assuming it's hilarious how you guys came up with that and talked about it. And, um, you know, just give us a little behind the scenes on the tour announcement video. Dude, I, we have been talking about doing that probably since 2009. Um, <laughs> that, that movie is sort of ingrained in, in, in our band's DNA. I mean, that, that for me, um, it, you know, Mike Judge, really everything Mike Judge, you know, has done, like, like obviously Office Space, but also um, King of the Hill and, and Beavis and Butthead and um, Idiocracy and, and really and Silicon Valley. Like, I love his humor. I think it's I think it's so intelligent when it's because it's really understated and 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 very rooted in real life and who these and who real people are. And Office Space to me was just like genius because you have like this obviously this office space setting um, that's just misery, but it's it's with this juxtaposition of like the most hilarious hip hop soundtrack of all time. Like it's like this super gnarly, like super hood, like hip hop soundtrack. And, and I just, I just thought it was one of the funniest movies I'd ever seen since I was a kid. I mean, I've probably watched that movie like 80 times or something, but, um, but no, so we, we've, we've wanted to, to do that to announce video for a long time and finally like had the right situation and, and, and had like the right, um, uh, you know, video equipment and all that to make sure that we could really do it justice. And we, we went through literally scene by scene and made sure we got almost every detail as right as we possibly could. Um, and so, so yeah. And, and what's funny about that too, and I've seen people ask this online, um, but you know, the song, um, that's playing in the background of that scene is a song from a, a, a Texas hip hop group called, uh, ghetto boys. And mm-hmm. we couldn't use the song because, you know, it gets flagged online you know you, it'll just get taken down because of copyright issues so we literally went into into the studio and recorded that we just played it ourselves like we learned how to play the the the, the tune and went into like a a basement studio locally and and just cut the track cut the track live and then i mixed it with uh with our en- a longtime engineer and previous drummer ryan nogle after the fact and it, it was pretty awesome that was a great experience for me too i mean i, I love i love hip-hop i love playing hip-hop and uh, so that was pretty pretty fun to get to recreate the track too. Besides just doing the video, and who shot the video? Uh, that was Nick. So I mean, we have all of our old drummers up in the mix on this project. <laughs> so yeah, just for those listening who don't know, Nick Nick Sonricker was um, one of Aqueous's longtime drummers. You know, kind of the uh, Willius Forty Cycles era. And uh, <clears throat> but he's still always been really involved in a lot of our media productions. So like any tour announced videos, any show announced videos. Um, tour posters, et cetera, et cetera. But, but yeah, so he produced the whole thing, shot it, edited it. Um, and then Nogle, our other, other drummer, um, from, from previous, you know, to Rob's time, um, was handling the audio for us. Um, where, you know, him and I worked together to, to get that done. The family is still strong, man. Oh yeah. You never live the aqueous family. That's right. It's almost like the, like the mob. (laughs) So, I mean, the reason the video is amazing, I, w- let's just, let's put it out there. Dave Loss, I mean, come on, that guy, I mean, he, the scene with bringing him back to the <laughs> copier, I mean, he, it, it is so Dave Loss, it is amazing. Uh, he was born to play that role. He was born yes. He was born to be Michael Bolton. He, he has that secret internal rage that he can channel if he needs to. And man, I, I completely agree. He, he should win an Emmy and an Oscar and whatever the fuck else, because he, he was really laying into it. I mean, when, 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 I mean, when. When Evan and I were tra- t- filming those scenes with him, we literally were having to hold him back. Like I, 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 I got hurt a little bit on one of the takes, like because he was going so hard, and that's exactly what we were looking for. It was awesome. And now you got. I mean, this, this was the best time ever because you got the bald head rocket now, and you I know I was like, Samir. I was I was yeah, born to be Samir. Oh except God. I can't get my foot that high, man. I mean, he, and I can't break dance. That dude's amazing. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah, it, it's still great, man. We all loved it. I blew up <laughs> on Twitter. I was laughing so hard. So great job, and I, I hope you do more of those. That was pretty cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, we we you know we always like to get creative with those. We have we have just as much fun making those as we do making music. Like it's 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 a blast. Yeah. So um, I think that kind of covers where we're at a little bit. Actually, um, I got one more question. Sure. So so let's go. You kind of talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to know, like, you know, it's been, you guys have been a, a band for quite, quite a long time. And I just wondered, you know, and you talked about it a little bit, what, what would you say is the current style of the band? What's the sound, kind of your philosophy, your approach? And do you have any, uh, anything that you're kind of striving for as a band musically? 
Yeah, that that's a great question, man. I mean, I mean, I think for Aqueous, historically, it's just always been evolving into something else. Like whatever the most authentic thing that we're into at the time is, like in our influences and in our musical priorities, just goes right into the band. So we're we're never really too worried about preserving one thing we already did or replicating something we already did. And 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 right now we're in a really interesting time because um, a lot of our influences have shifted to to more of like a like kind of rock and indie, indie rock stuff and calling upon some different influences like Queens of the Stone Age and like Nine Inch Nails and like all, and Tame Impala and all kinds of stuff that's a little a little different than what we've done previous and and the thing that's mainly shifting right now is that when we're writing songs and and when we're we're working on music in general or even in, when we're improvising we're trying to be as melodic as possible and to like leave space and and to focus on like better lyrics and um, you know, really, really the thing that comes to the forefront for me is right now we are trying to write good songs and songs that like are meaningful and, and, and full of like quality melodies and, and grooves and, and cool riffs and licks and stuff like that. So, um, I think like there's going to always be something about our band that is our band. Like there's just this element, this non-tangible element that is just us and that, and that is our sound. But, but yeah, right now, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff happening, um, behind the scenes, uh, a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I'm taking vocal lessons. Um, you know, Rob is starting to sing full time. Um, you know, Dave just got a new keyboard that can do all these crazy like pad synthesizers and all these like really cool trippy sounds. And and that, that's his third keyboard he's got in the mix now. Um, you know, compared to five six years ago, he didn't have any keyboards. Um, <laughs> and and we have been we're basically have become students of the game of of songwriting. Um, you know where. You know, we were challenged, you know, I had this unique opportunity recently. Um, I, I was actually in Nashville playing a gig with some of the Umphreys dudes with that side project we have. And I had the opportunity to sit down with a, 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 a songwriter in Nashville that writes a lot of the top 40 stuff, but is also like a, um, a big jam band advocate. Like that's his passion, but this is his job, you know, like they're, <clears throat> and so they're different mentalities. But I basically took like a songwriting um you know, core, it was basically like a, like a master class in songwriting. And a lot of the values I learned that were super useful for me to like refine my vision and to refine like what is in my head. And, and then I shared that with the band and they're doing the same. And, you know, basically we were challenged to write literally as many songs as possible and then, and then pick the ones that really stand out to, you know, to either put on an album or record or whatever. And so we're in the midst of a, a pretty heavy creative process right now where we, you know, we're trying to reach at least 30, 30 songs, 35 songs, you know, and we, we I, I won't tell you how many we're at right now, but it's pretty high um, that we've written in the past two months. Um, uh-huh. And we haven't even really played any of them. We, you know, we, we there's like a, been a couple of new debuts. Like we did, um, you know, be the same was was a newer one, and and uh, um, you know, we Dave's got that going nowhere one that we've been playing, which is actually um, was worked out of an improv section from uh, a couple of Rochester shows ago um, that we were calling Silver Street, and it was really neat to like work that into an actual tune. But um, there's a lot happening right now in the way of songwriting for aqueous and and i'm and i'm really excited about it because it basically this dude was telling me that for every 30 songs he writes he only like will use one or two of them (laughs) and they're the best ones and i was like wow that is amazing and so um you know basically we've all been like kind of nose to the grindstone um you know working out you know, de- demo after demo after de- demo and sending them to each other and working on each other's and, and, and so on and so forth. But it's, it's actually been a really joyous process. Like I, I love that. I, I mean, I could, I, I, I mean, for me, it's just nice to chip away at something like that. And, and, um, you know, that's, that's just kind of where we've been at recently, but I, everybody feels very inspired. And, and I, I think everybody, everybody couldn't really be more on the same page than they are right now. And, and it's, it's a good feeling. And, and I think historically, new songs have always lit a fire under our, under our live shows too. And so that, that's what makes me even more excited for the fall tour, you know, and I, I'm not here saying that we're going to have 30 songs come out or something, but right. we're, we're, we're working on some good stuff right now is, is what I'll say. And we've got some plans um, to get that out to the world eventually. So how, this, I think this is interesting. So how does a new song come to you? Is it you sit down on your guitar and you just start playing and then you come up with a melody and you put some lyrics to it do you sing in the shower or watch Office Space, and then all of a sudden, randomly, something pops in your head? If Is I watched, it, uh, if I watched Office Space and then went wrote and, and went and wrote music, it'd be like the 
most ratchet aqueous album of all time, which would be awesome. (laughs) But, but no, that, that's a great question too. Um, you know, for me, that process is always shifting and, and recently it's actually changed quite a bit because I finally got like a little home studio set up, like nothing crazy. Like, like I couldn't record a band here. I mean, just have an apartment in the city. Like I can't like play drums here or something, but, um, I've been like using a program to record all my ideas and I have like a little keyboard that, and I, and this program has all these different synth sounds and drum loops and all this stuff in it. And so my process is, looks a thousand percent different than it used to. Cause it used to just be a guitar and I would sing into like my little, my phone's little voice recorder and that, that would be it. And now I can make like full fledged demos with like, you know, all the vocal parts, all the harmonies, all the stuff. So, um, we'll, we'll, you know, a lot of times I'll sit down with no idea whatsoever and just play the first thing that comes to my mind that day. And then I'll just kind of extrapolate on that. Like, you know, maybe it was just like a bass line that I played on the keyboard and then I'll like put some chords over it or whatever. And, and, and really the piano is, is a new endeavor for me too. And I'm finding that it's inspiring uh, a different side of my own musicality because I, I don't play the piano inherently, you know, I mean, I can play the guitar um, and I, I know the guitar really well, but um I think that sometimes with something that you've played for 15 years, you have patterns that you fall into. And so to get um, a whole new perspective and literally in front of my eyes, this, this piano, um, my restrictions have actually been helping me create better melodies, if you can believe it. So, um, a process that I've been doing a lot is I'll record a groove or something and then I'll write the melody, um, for the vocals on the keyboard. I'll just improvise, like I'll maybe do five or six takes improvising different melodies and then. I'll like go through and listen to the one that was the most engaging um, to me. And then I'll write, I'll t- I'll write lyrics from that. Um, and typically I know what the song is going to be about, um, you know, and I'll try to write a musical thing, you know, f- uh, piece that, that reflects the emotion of the, of the tune. But um, that, that has been the number one thing that has changed is that all of us actually have this little setup at home and we can share these, um, these projects with each other. So I'll, I'll, Right, you know, work something out and then I'll send it to Evan and he'll like put his bass on it and send it back to me. Or like, um, I'll send it to Dave and he'll like do all these keyboards or backup vocals and we can do it like remotely from our own apartments, which, which is really nice. Cause then when we get together at rehearsal, we're already like ready to rock. You know what I mean? Sure. We, 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 we cut out a lot of the time that it takes to sit. And it's sometimes it's nice to like sit with it for a minute and try a bunch of different things. Um, you know, when you, you don't have to be, you know, so in the moment you can, you can, like just let a bunch of different ideas out. I mean, my idea, my, my goal with these is to never overthink um, the, the process too much. You know, I'll just like, literally, I won't do more than five options and then I'll just listen through. And there's always one that stands out more than another. And, and it's always improvised. Like I'll just make something up and then like usually just like piece together ideas from there. And um, it becomes like really clear when you do that process, which things work and which things don't. And, and it's, been greatly improving um a lot of aspects of of my writing and the band's writing it's really cool uh, it's really cool to hear so i got it but i something came to me that i needed to ask that i forgot to put in our notes here sure you brought the strap back uh <laughs> for the two shows so what what was up with the strap man you know i i feel like i'm one of those people that just i i like change um i i i i need to feel that I'm being authentically inspired. And I'm sure that there's a therapist out there listening that can explain why I needed to switch back to the strat and why I'll probably switch back to the PRS and do that 10 or 15 more times in the next year. But, um, for, for me, I just, uh, I, I will have these, these natural gravitations towards something else in this past, the past week before cobblestone, I just picked up my strat again. I said, Hey, this feels like home, you know, like I, this feels like it's bringing something different out of me for right now. And so, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I just felt like I wanted to play the Strat and so I did. And, and it's nice. I feel like for me, the, the different instruments that I have, like the, I have a Gibson SG, I've got the Fender Stratocaster and now the Paul Reed Smith. And I play a little different on each of them. And it's not a conscious choice. It's just the way the, the guitars feel in your hand. Um, and, and the different, you know, there's, and there are, there are differences inherently in the guitars. The, the Stratocaster has the longest neck out of all of them, which tends to do two things. One of them is that it makes um, playing with my right hand, so my rhythmic stuff, um, a little more natural for me because there's more space for my right hand. Um, And you'll see a lot of like funk rhythm guitarists using Stratocasters or somebody I'd even think of like Corey Wong as like one of the great 
current rhythm. Um, well, I mean, he's a great lead guitarist too, but his rhythm is really stands out. Um, and he uses a strat, um, and the longer scale length, just something about it works, um, you know, for the rhythmic stuff. So that's one thing I love about the strat, but then the PRS is actually, um, slightly shorter. And, and I feel like, like my left hand is more free to move about. And I feel like I play a little cleaner on it and I, and I play, um, like, and it's easier on my hands. You know, if we do like a long tour, the PRS is a lot more forgiving, um, then the strat is the strat takes a lot more work because the longer the tension or excuse me, the longer the scale length, the more tension there is, um, you know, on the strings, you have to push a lot harder to bend the strings. And it's, and it's, you know, for someone like me, I, I'm kind of prone to a lot of like joint pain. Um, and so the strat can be difficult over long periods of time. And then the SG is the shortest of all of them. And there's a lot of advantages to that. It's a different tone. It's, it's fatter. Um, it's, great it's the best of the three guitars for slide work i mean I, the dream is to have all of that in one but it's just it's just not possible um and the prs kind of comes the closest to giving you both worlds which is why i got that that you know i went with that particular instrument is because um it's a little bit of a mix between a strat and a gibson but um but no i i uh i think that at the end of the day for me a lot of my character as a guitarist I think is expressed most clearly on the Stratocaster. Um, but I, I have a lot of love for both of my other guitars and you'll, you'll see me use both uh, in the future a hundred percent. And you know, it, the Strat's old school and you're old school in Buffalo and Rochester. I mean, it, it kind of felt pretty cool, you know? Yeah. I felt like if there was a place I could do it, it was certainly there. Sure, sure. And and I think the other thing too about that is that I they've come to realize cuz I, I mix a lot of our shows anyways like on Nugs now. Um you know, I've been I've been uh mixing the shows after the fact with Ryan. We'll, we just kind of split them down the middle at this point, but um I listen back to a lot of, I mean to really everything now at this point and I've listened to the shows with the Strat, I've listened to the shows with the PRS and the SG and I think for me I'm not that worried um I, what I've learned is that I my personality on the instrument will come through no matter what I'm using. I mean, there's differences, of course. There's actually pretty big differences in the tone itself. But if you're talking about like the character um, of the note choices and of uh, of the um, music itself, I feel like not concerned about expressing myself on any of them, um, which is a nice feeling. Even when you've sat in with other people and used their guitars, I thought the same thing. You're, I could pick your tone out and the way you play from, you know, anybody. So yeah. it definitely your personality always comes through. Thanks, man. And so, all right. So I asked a bunch of people for some questions. Um, mm -hmm. Some of our fans on uh, All In With Aqueous on Twitter, which is All In With AQ. If you're looking for a cool Twitter account, that's the account that I run. And then our awesome acquaintances fan uh, base on uh, Facebook. So I got a couple questions from some people. So we want to give some love out to them. And uh, we'll start with, um, let's let's go with, Josh Vaughn, and he says, what was the best trick or hack you have learned on the road, skate or in general? I did actually learn how to do 360 flips on the road uh, a few years ago on the skateboard. Uh, so I will go with that as my actual answer. But um, as far as hacks, you know, I have to I have to just say that if there's someone to ask that question to, it's Rob Hauk, because he is like the master of hacks. He just is always thinking in this 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 way where he's I feel like he's trying to like improve everything around him and and, I, and it's really impressive like he, he does all this weird stuff like he'll he'll like hang a shirt he'll hang a shirt out of the van window like when he's sitting shotgun in the van when if we have a long drive he'll sleep like he'll make this little like this little like satchel for his head and he'll sleep like a baby in it like and I was like man I've been doing this for 10 years I never thought about doing that like um, I feel like he's he's the guy with all the ingenuity. Uh, I'm like I feel like I'm still learning how to do it, how to be on the road. I'm like the last person you want to ask that question to. So I, <laughs> I have no hack recommendations, but I'll steal all of Rob's. <laughs> so from mjizzle03 on Twitter, he actually has a pretty interesting question, and he said the new Vox digital delay uh, he noticed during the Peach set. And when did you pick that up? Why did you pick it up? And is it here to stay? So that, that is a really interesting observation. And uh, so the difference there, um, so that's not actually a new unit or something that we've picked up. Basically, um, in the past like the six months or, or, or so, we've been trying to alleviate, um, you know, our, our front of house engineer and lighting designer, Ryan Bress, 
Um, we've been trying to get, um, you know, get him to the point where we can just have him do lights. And so we've been bringing in guest front of house engineers because in the music industry, it's virtually unheard of for a band to have a guy that does both of those jobs. That's basically two separate jobs to run lights and run sound. I mean, and they're both very complex and very hands-on. And for to, we've been very lucky to have someone do both for a long time. But as we grow and step into bigger venues, I mean, you said it with, I mean, Peach was, the, that's probably the biggest stage we've ever played on. We played main stage this year, which was a, a huge honor, actually. But um, so we, we brought in um, Ryan Nogle who again, longtime aqueous drummer, but probably one of the best sound engineers I know. And we brought him in and, and he's able to be more hands-on with the mix when, when he's at the show because he's not running lights simultaneously. So he's dialing in these little delays on our vocals and putting some effects on to just make it a little more engaging, um, you know, for the people in the audience. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that we're, you know, you'll probably see us work towards, you know, probably in the next six months or so, we'll probably have a dedicated person for that job. So you'll see a new team member come on with aqueous full-time soon. Um, but that's, that's what you're hearing there is, is just somebody that has, um, is, is able to, um, you know, have a little more nuance going on with the sound side of things. Very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I actually really like this question. This is from very longtime uh, Aqueous family member, Ashley Driscoll. And she says, I'd like to know the process of remembering lyrics from writing to performing. Are there older songs just in your brain or how much prep goes into learning and remembering lyrics? That's a really cool question. Um, I know for me, in the in the very beginning of, of debuting a song, typically my process for remembering lyrics is um, I will write out cue words for each, um, you know, verse, so to speak. Um, and, and what I mean by that is I, I, I really dislike reading off of lyric sheets when we play because I feel like it takes my mind off of the performance and, and, and sometimes the lighting is is so intense, like there'll be a strobing effect or some kind of thing that makes it hard to read the lyrics. And, and I just, I like to really just know it. And so I can like focus on, on delivering it. And so, um, in the beginning I'll, I'll still need help, like remembering where I'm at, but a lot of times I'll just make sure at home I'm really rehearsed on it. And usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll like rehearse the song with the lyric sheet and then try to do it without it and see which ones are throwing me for a loop. And maybe I'll write the first word of the verse on a sheet of paper and I'll do that for each verse of the new song. And that usually takes me about one or two shows of doing it that way until it's like ingrained in my memory. And then from there on out, um, I mean, I feel like my brain works a really particular way. Um, and, and as far, like, I feel like if once it's in there, it's really in there. Um, like, like if I were like playing, like we've just played Willie is 40 again for the first time in a long time. And like, I didn't have to like go back and um, remember the, I mean, I actually had to go back and relearn the song on the guitar, but <laughs> um, the lyrics are just kind of always, always there for me in, in, in less. And I, this is a big asterisk for me. If I overthink it, um, I will, I will forget it. And I, sometimes I'll be like, Dave, what's the lyric? And I'll be like, I don't know. And we'll just loop the section until I can remember it. Um, <laughs> but that's pretty rare. Uh, I mean, that, that, those moments usually occur if I'm like very underslept or, um, you know, we've been on tour for six weeks or some crazy thing, but generally speaking, you know, and knock on wood, I, 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 I have done okay with just, it's just is somewhere rooted in my, in my brain somewhere deep down. So maybe like with a cover, when you learn a, a cover, is that easy to remember? Or a lot of times it's a cover that maybe you know already, or is that like a tougher thing to do because it's not your song maybe? Well, that one is definitely more situational because if it's if it's one, like I was saying earlier, like if there's a song that we that I don't even know myself that we're going to cover, and maybe yeah. I have four days until the show, um, that will become a little more challenging because, I, you know, you have to memorize the song itself first. You have to, like, know what the song is first and then memorize the lyrics. And that's sort of a, a dual process, like a double whammy, compared to, like, if we're playing a song, like, we played Let Him In. I mean, Dave, Dave sang that one, but I, I've listened to that song about a thousand times in my, in my own life. So that one is, is already in my brain. So I just have to, like, learn how to play it on the guitar, and I know how to know how to do it you know um and and but then again like like there will be certain situations like we did that rack and tour song and like i've listened to that song a bunch but i just didn't i wasn't i didn't it wasn't as rooted in me as some as, as other ones and i did have lyrics for that um yeah so, so it's just uh, so then our last question will come from michael Liu, and he asks have you seen any good music lately and any favorite new bands 
Yeah, um, I've actually caught a couple of shows this summer that I was really stoked about um, and really in the past like six or seven months. Um, one of them that really stood out is I caught Snarky Puppy the last time they came to Buffalo. And man, that's just one of those bands where I, I feel like I'm really seeing something groundbreaking. I feel like I'm seeing history being made. Like I, I feel like I'm watching jazz progress in front of my eyes um, and musicality progress in front of my eyes. So that one stuck out. Um, actually, just uh, we, we, we got to the opportunity to play Camp Bisco um, for the first time, which was a really interesting experience because that's sort of a new realm for us. Um, but anyways, when I was there, I got to catch Eli Winderman's side project with Jesse from Lotus, which is called Octave Cat. And their set was amazing. Um, it was, it's, uh, you know, all instrumental and all this like cool, like analog sampling and, and, you know, Eli with, you know, with, with the Moog crazy stuff going on and all these like really interesting futuristic sounds. And that, that set was really interest, you know, really interesting to me. And, and I got a lot out of that. And um, a couple other ones that, that I think are worth mentioning. I, I love a lot of indie music and grew up on a lot of indie music. And earlier this year, before they decided to go on hiatus, I, I caught Minus the Bear. And that was a really awesome show. A few weeks, actually, just last week, I caught um, Incubus when they played in Buffalo, and that was solid. And um, and actually, just for all the jam kids out there, I finally got to see a fish show um, for the first time in almost a decade. Um, I caught them in, at their show in Toronto, and, and I loved every second of it. Uh, I mean, I'm not one of those fish fans that's like super in it anymore. I mean, I, I love the band and had had um, a great, amazing experience in my life with them. But I, I'm not like following the set list, and I'm not like, you know, I don't have a lot of opinions on it anymore. I just, I, I've been so, you know, fixated on working on the aqueous stuff and we play so much that it's usually not even an option for me to get to see them. But um, I found that when I went to the show, I was able to immediately reconnect with the unique joy that it is to see a fish show. I mean, it, it was, uh, um, and without knowing, I mean, a lot of the tunes they played at that particular show were new and, and I loved that because I, I didn't have any expectations. And, uh, there was a lot of moments that I thought were really beautiful and, uh, Trey, you know, felt really inspired to me and, and the whole band did. And, um, that was a really fun experience. And I also got to take my wife for the first time and she had a, a similar experience to me and, and, and really enjoyed it. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I've, I've caught a couple of good shows recently and man, as far as what I've been listening to our favorite new band, I, I mean, gosh, there's so much stuff that's come out recently. We touched on the vampire weekend stuff that, uh, their newest album, father of the bride is phenomenal. Um, one of my favorite hip hop artists, Nas just released this mixtape and he, he has this one beat that he raps over and it's sampled from a Dave Brubeck jazz, uh, song from the fifties, um, uh, this song called Blue Rondo a la Turk. And I have never heard someone rap over something like this and it's fucking phenomenal. Um, so I've been listening to that a bunch. Um, there's this artist called Tom Mish that I think everybody should know about. It's like super funky kind of like R&B fusion-y pop jazz stuff. It's really dope. And, and I've also been touching on a lot of my old influences like um, like Queens of the Stone Age and Nine Inch Nails and Interpol. Um Listen to a lot of Tame Impala, a lot of a lot of John Mayer actually, and and no, not the Dead One. I love his solo albums. Sorry <laughs> to disappoint you people out there, but he's amazing. Um, also, uh, I know I feel like I was really late to the party on this, but uh, Chris Myers from Umphreys introduced me to Fugazi, um, and I, I'd always known about them, like with my skate punk roots and all that stuff, and my history of like growing up around skateboarding and all the music that came along with that, but. Um, I've been really getting into them because he had us cover a few of their songs for um, our side project that we do. And and so I've been getting really into them. Um, I, there's two other recommendations I would make for people like looking for new music. Um, one of them is Raylan Baxter, who actually is, you know, we mentioned Josh's festival, you know, um, uh, Borderlands, which is around, you know, the Buffalo area. And he's actually one of the artists on it. But he, to me, is writing some of the most like, enjoyable pop music um indie pop music that it currently exists and i love his lyrical style and i love the content um and his band is really really good and um so i'd recommend that and there's this other album that evan found um this band called young gun silver fox and it's literally exactly what it sounds like it's like a young dude and an old dude and they make like what sounds to me like a perfect culmination of all the 70s soft rock that you could ever imagine. It sounds like Doobie Brothers beats like Steely Dan meets like Fleetwood Mac, but like a modern version of it. And it's so dope. Um, so those would be two recommendations. And lastly, I know I'm this is long winded, but I could go all day talking about this shit. Um, I made I, I put a, po- a post online asking for recommendations of people's like favorite female led or female inspired groups and just like had a, an amazing time um, 
discovering so much of what people recommended. A lot of it I, I already knew, like Emily King and Rubble Bucket and this band called Crumb and Hiatus Coyote. But there was so much, uh, so many amazing artists that I discovered through that. I, I would recommend people just go go find that post that I put up. I mean, there was over, I mean, I think there was like over a thousand recommendations, you know. So like, I'd recommend people to just go to that post and pick something and just and just enjoy it because I, I there was not one recommendation in that list that was not awesome <laughs> so it's nice. very very cool I'll have yeah, to check. a couple of these i have never heard so i'm pretty interested to check out so yeah um so that covers everything i think mike um we got questions in from all of our fans and we recapped and we're looking to the future anything else you want to talk about you know i saw one person ask what video games i was playing Oh, and, and I, and I want to answer them because I, I, I actually do game a lot. Um, that's like the one activity I do like, cause you know, when I'm home, you know, I mean, I, I do like a lot of outdoor stuff. Like I go biking a lot and I skate and I skateboard and, and, and this and that, but, um, like my one relaxing activity is, is actually video games. So for that person out there, I'm just going to give you a list of the most recent games I've played. I played Hollow Knight, which is my favorite, like probably the, my favorite game I've played in the last four or five years. Like it was so unique and awesome. Um, what, what what are you playing on? I, we should, we should, uh, I have two systems at the moment. I have a Nintendo switch, which is awesome for being on the road because it's a full console that can be, um, converted into a portable one. And it's, that's like, you know, the first of its kind, they've had portable consoles, but they were also slimmed down in their abilities. Um, and this is literally like is able to do what a PlayStation is able to do, but just on the go or on the TV. So that's, that was a perfect solution for being on the road all the time. Um, but so, yeah, uh, so I'm playing primarily that. And when I'm off the road, I play the PlayStation four. So, um, yeah, for the switch, I played Hol- uh, hollow Knight, um, super Mario odyssey, um, and, and this new game called cuphead, which is punishingly difficult. I, I can't even tell if I'm having fun. It's so stressful, but, um, that's been kind of, kind of, I guess it's been pretty fun. And then for, uh, um, the PS4, I played the the Spider-Man game was one of the coolest games I've ever played. Um, and then uh, a, a Batman one, and then also uh, this one called Horizon Zero Dawn, um, which uh, I tend I tend to just go online and look at like review, you know, general reviews, and and they all tend to be pretty accurate where, where gaming is concerned. So uh, I wanted to throw a bone to that nerdy kid out there that's nerdy like me. I'll talk about that shit all day too. Yes, I'm also a pretty avid gamer. So, <laughs> Good. Uh, yes, Cuphead is incredibly insane. Dude, I <laughs> cannot believe how hard it is. But I like it because I feel like it's just hard enough where eventually you figure it out, but it might have taken like 100 tries or some stupid thing. But I have awesome. a game for you and to listeners that I just started playing called Dark Cells, and it's actually available I- on Switch. Do you know it? That's on my list. So I, actually, the reason I was going to play that is because I played that one called Hollow Knight, which is the one I would recommend to you in turn, because um, it's that kind of like platformer, Castlevania yep. kind of vibe. Yep. Um, and they're, they're similar. And I've read all about Dark Cells because I loved Hollow Knight so much, um, which was also very difficult. But I, I, I will uh, I, I will try Dark Cells. It's unreal. Unreal. So Awesome. All right. So we got the nerd out of the way there. We've got the music out of the way. All right, good. I'm glad that you did touch on that. I did see that question. I forgot to put that in my notes. So Yeah, man. Uh, so right. uh, here on All In with Aqueous, we're going to try and catch up a little bit more frequent. It's I had some crazy ideas I want to do, and it's tough with everybody's schedule. But we're going to we're gonna be a lot better about getting the guys on the show and keeping everybody in the loop. So, uh, Mike, it's been great having you on, and we wish you a really good time. Nightlights is coming up. I mean, that's got a lot of history with you guys. I know you're looking forward to that. So, yeah, man. Uh, Thanks for having anything, me on. Anything you want to talk about with Nightlights, or are you just excited to play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're always just really stoked to go back, and uh, I, I'm excited. I'm debuting a band there, uh, Uncle Mike's Random Company, and I've got Vinny from Mo, uh, Rob Compa from Dopapod, AC from Talk, and then uh, me and Evan from Aqueous, and we've got some really cool plans for that set. And uh, you know, the Aqueous set's gonna be gonna be a blast. We love we love playing at Nightlights, and a lot of a lot of family there too. As far as you know, who's running that and who's involved, and um, we're we're very excited to uh, to be back again. Nice. All right, Mike, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll see everybody in the near future. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks, Mike. Well, there you go. There's a quick catch-up with what's going on with Mike and the band, and very happy to have him on the show. He always does such a great job at our interviews. And we'll be back a little bit more frequently. We'll be probably in the middle of September. I would uh, I would say you can get a new episode from us, and we'll catch up, you know, how fall tour is going and, 
And we're going to try to keep this thing going a little bit more frequently. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed everything. Again, you can follow me on Twitter for Aqueous at All In With AQ. Best way to hit me up is right there. Any questions you want to know, anything you've been thinking about, I, I can get in contact with everybody and try to get you some answers, or we'll, uh, we'll just ask people right on the show. So take care, everybody, and much love to all of the Aqueous family. Hey there, this is Mike Ganser of Aqueous, letting you know All In with Aqueous is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about the artists and topics you love. Visit OsirisPod.com to check out our shows. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Check them out at Jambase.com.